0: Hey everyone, it's Simi Shah, and welcome to Trailblazers. On this podcast, I dive deep into the journeys of trailblazing South Asians, sharing the stories of the leaders and dreamers lighting the way across the South Asian diaspora. Before we get to today's special guest, a message from Ishdals ish dolls is a toy brand that believes in play with purpose with their plush dolls that celebrate hindu deities like krishna durga rav and sita their hope is to connect our little ones with the rich traditions of the hindu faith as someone who grew up learning and loving these epic tales i'm so excited to see how the next generation will get to engage with these stories through the magic of toys To get a doll for the little one in your life, visit ishdolls.com and use the code TRAILBLAZERS for a special discount. Now, on to our season finale. For our season finale, I am so thrilled to be speaking with Mega Rao, fashion designer and founder of Holy Chic. A renowned global fashion brand, Holy Chic offers South Asian-inspired fashion ensembles with a Western twist. MEGA's brand made its runway premiere at New York Fashion Week in 2021 and was also featured in the iconic Jalebi Baby remix video with celebrities Tesher and Jason Derulo. Before starting Holy Chic in 2014, Mecca spent a decade modeling for iconic Indian fashion brands. She also spent 15 years in corporate America at Citibank, a career she recently left in 2020 to go full-time as a founder. She is a graduate of Hofstra University, where she majored in communications. We've had a lot of firsts this season, and Megha is our first trailblazer in fashion design. So, so
1: excited to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Of course. Now, this is so much fun. And I really appreciate you taking the time and I'm excited to chat with you today. Absolutely. So I really want
0: to start with your early career trajectory because it's so fascinating. You majored in communications at Hofstra. You spent a number of years in finance at Citibank. Can you speak to these experiences in the career you initially imagined for yourself?
1: Yeah, you know, I think growing up and especially as a freshman in college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I mean, I think that's the story for so many of us, you know? And so I knew that I wanted to do something in the creative space. I wanted to be in front of the camera. I loved speaking with people. I loved performance, dance, all that kind of stuff. And so I did communications and journalism with the intent to be a news reporter. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. Clearly, that did not work out for me. I think that at the time when I was interning and looking, the opportunities were not as available as they are today. And I think we're seeing so much more now, which is a great thing. But um, it didn't work out for me. And I, I have no regrets because I ended up finding a really great entry level position in a bank. And I loved it because I got to utilize a lot of the skills that I did learn in school. My job really every day was to go in manage people, and speak to clients. And I loved it because I got to speak to many different types of people, learn about them and their stories. So I did that for 15 years, worked my way up through corporate America, did a variety of different types of roles. And I believe that that experience helped me where I am today. It's really translated to making me successful as a business owner today. Wow.
0: It's interesting. Most of the people that I end up speaking to took these left turns in their careers. You know, I myself started out in finance and have taken various left turns already being pretty early in my career. But it's fascinating how I think sometimes there's a mentality that these experiences are like distinct points in time rather than compounding things that I'm sure your experience working at City helped you become a better business owner
1: that you are today. Totally. Simple things like, you know, um, how to hire people, how to write an email, like little things like the PowerPoint, management, Excel sheets. You need all these things, right? If you want to run an organized business and many people are like, why did you do both for so many times? I wouldn't change the thing. Wow. So
0: you spent a number of years modeling, walking the runway for some of the country's top designers.
1: How did you get into modeling? Great question. So I actually modeled here in the States. And that opportunity came because there was a pageant here in New York. And like I said before, I was always very into dance and creativity. And so my mom said, go for it. If this is something that you want to do, let's go. We'll take you. You do this pageant. And it was a really great experience for me because it really taught me. It's not just about appearance. It's so much more. It's about talent. It's about the way that you carry yourself, how you speak, your thoughts, so a lot of that helped me get confidence. I think that'll establish a lot of confidence in me at a young age. And from that point, I was approached by different designers when they would come from India to model for them. I think that was my real entry point into my passion for fashion. I was just so intrigued by the different cuts, the fabrics, The different types of collections that we would see from the variety from designer to designer, and I think that's where like my initial passion was born, and um, the rest, I guess, is history.
0: (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. Now there came a point in 2014 where, after spending this time as a model, you wanted to try your hand as a designer and entrepreneur. Clearly, because of the fact that the space intrigued you, as you just said. Was there a clear catalyst or inflection point where you were like, this is something I have to do?
1: No, I wouldn't say that it was like, this is what I'm going to do. I think it happened gradually. And what I mean by that is after those experiences modeling, I personally didn't feel like the clothes I was wearing represented who I was. It was either way too traditional and things that I just couldn't see myself in or way on the other side. And I didn't find a healthy medium. So I started creating my own looks. You know i think a lot of us play with our closets i would start mixing saris with leather jackets like just yeah. mixing and matching and having fun and people started noticing it when i would go yeah. out like, where did you get this or how did you put this together and it made me realize that there were other people that wanted this type of fashion that Absolutely. represented them because we are unique we represent dual identities and we don't want tulle and can-can and sequins and glitter when we go to a wedding. We want to be a little bit more understated and more modern and a little bit more cool and hip and have this New York edge. And so I tried to find this balance and I began to realize that many other women wanted the same thing. And so it gradually happened. I started telling to my friends, to my family. Wow. And then that just, you know, from there, we just started evolving and it, it took off.
0: That's an amazing story. And it's interesting. I feel like for most people, it is a gradual process in terms of discovering that passion and finding their sort of niche of where they want to play. I think for a lot of us, hindsight is twenty twenty. The fusion of Western and South Asian culture that characterizes Holy Sheiks clothes feels like a natural progression of fashion. But I'm sure at the time, to your point, it felt like there was a gap in the market. Yes, can you speak to that gap in that original vision for the brand? Yeah. So I
1: think. Um, I'll give you this example of when I was getting married, we had no options, right? Like you go to Jackson Heights, there's Hicksville, which is like in New York. And I'm sure there's places around the country. But what I noticed was that the styles were dated. They were expensive. And only other option that we had was to fly to India to go find clothes. And yep. to me, that was silly. And it didn't really save us any money at the end of the day either. We're still very costly. It's very <laughs> stressful to shop in India. Yeah, yeah. And so not only was there a gap with the accessibility of relatable fashion, there was a gap of just finding fashion and having access to it. So I noticed the white space. I originally began designing for weddings, the guests of weddings, and giving them that those langas and the saris that they needed, like those formal type of events, because that's like really where the majority of us were going at that time. But from that point, many other brands have then come up, right? Which is a great thing. Absolutely. It's great to see people pursuing that fashion, giving us so many different access points and, you know, to these different types of things. But from a design and aesthetic point, I felt that there was still this missing link of where's the in-between? Like we, Interesting. people are not only going to weddings anymore. They have Diwali parties, they have red carpets, they have baby showers, and they all want this little flare of, South Asian culture and tradition within their clothing. And so our niche has evolved now to giving people South Asian fashion that they can wear every day. It's not limited to a specific type of event. Wear it when you're on vacation, wear a swimsuit that has a slightly Indian flair when you're at a resort. And it gives you an opportunity to show off your culture in such a cool way, talk about it with other people. I can't tell you how many times people come up to me like asking me about my clothes and I I get to tell them the story. I get to talk about it, which is such a great thing. And so that is my goal. And that's where kind of we've evolved now to this point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I own the Karina pants and I really do feel like it's this amazing way to be able to showcase our fashion in more casual settings and not just with other South Asians around us necessarily.
1: Why the name Holy Chic? (laughs) I love that question. Okay. When we were first starting out, my founder and I, Puja, is our co-founder. We we're like, what does our brand represent? Like, what is it? And we both agreed that it was on the crossroads of Indo-Western. We were not completely Indian or South Asian, not completely American. We were right in the middle. And we wanted a name that represented that. And Holi, as we all know, is it signifies spring. It signifies color, vibrance, culture, tradition, And when you pair it with chic, that was my edge and my element of New York. You know, when I worked corporate America, I worked on Fifth Avenue. And you can only imagine what I was exposed (laughs) to on a daily basis. Window shopping, street fashion. There were so many different exposure levels that I had being in New York. And so chic, to me, represented that New York edge. And obviously, the combination of the two is now the fusion of the brand. And that is uh, how we came up with the name.
0: It's always interesting to hear the genesis story of the name behind a brand, because I'm sure even when you see those words individually, chic and holy, they carry so much significance for you now. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah, every time I see it. (laughs) Yeah. So to your point, I mean, you started Holy Chic in 2014, but also continued to work your corporate job until 2020, when you were six years into Holy Chic and 15 years into your corporate career, you decided to quit to go full time. A lot of entrepreneurs struggle to figure out when they should make that leap. What helped you make that decision?
1: That's a really good question. So mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people have different points, right, in their life when they know it's right or wrong. For myself, not only was I entrepreneur trying to figure out how to run a business, I was also a mom. Yeah. I just had my son when Holy Chic started brand new mom had no idea what I was oh, doing. Wow. Yeah. Managing this corporate career and now wanting to like pursue the side passion. And a lot of times I'm like, why did you wait so long? Like, why did you do this when you were like in your twenties, like 21, 22, <laughs> but it just so happened that way. And I feel like my point was during the pandemic. I remember there was a, a specific point where people were not going to different types of events anymore. We were all home. We were all on lockdown. Yep. And I was just sitting there and I started creating like, videos because we were all bored. And you know me, I said it already. I'm very creative. like I constantly need to be doing something. And so I was like, let me just make some videos and try some new products. And so we started creating these graphic tees. We started creating face masks and all these products that we never did before because the pandemic pushed me to think outside the box and test things. Yeah. That was probably the best decision I ever made for my business because it not only did it expose us to a whole new audience now, you don't have to come to us for the four or $500 linga. You can get a t-shirt now or a face mask that still gives you that Indo-Western flavor, makes you feel this pride and happiness when you wear it, but in such a subtle and everyday way, lifestyle way. And so that pivoted the business for us where we attracted a whole new audience. The business really started to scale and grow. And that's when I decided like, this is it if you want to do this, this is your time. You have this great opportunity to grow in your audience, scale the business. It's time to make that decision. And I went wow. for it. And I have not looked back, knock on wood, for the last two years. And actually, most recently, my co-founder also resigned from her corporate job. So wow. now it's the both of us that are dedicating all our time to this business and to our passion. Wow.
0: I want to spend more time on your journey into this business. But first, I want to double click on something you spoke about at the start. I'm always amazed by female founders, because we know it's no easy feat to manage a multitude of responsibilities as it is. And then on top of that, you add motherhood to the equation. What was that experience like for you? You know, juggling your full time job alongside this business alongside being a mother?
1: It was very difficult. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I think that it looks easy when you see things on Instagram and you see things on social media. She looks like she has it all together and she's balancing it. But the reality is you can never turn off. Like I am constantly, constantly working and I want to work. It's not that I, am like, Oh, I got to shut off at five o'clock. No, I can work weekends. I can work nights. Like I truly enjoy what I do. And so there's good and there's bad to everything. I think the good is that you know, my children see that I was able to pursue something that I enjoyed that brings me so much happiness and joy and make a career out of it. Right. And I try mm-hmm. to talk to them about it, that this is what mommy is doing. This is why I'm doing it, you know, and how it brings me so much happiness to wake up every day and do something that brings so much fulfillment and joy. On the flip side, it's hard to find balance, sometimes in the kitchen, feeding the kids, but also working at the same time. It's hard. It's a balance that I'm still trying to work on. I remember when I had the corporate job plus my son Aryan and the job my like time to build my business was right after he went to bed. Oh wow. From 9 to about 1 a.m., I would be speaking with India, creating designs, speaking to them about production, manufacturing and so that was like my core time to do it and I did that for 7 years simultaneously with my job. So it's been quite the journey. It isn't easy. You are signing up for sacrifice. You're sacrificing a lot but it is worth it, in my
0: opinion, at the end. I appreciate you sharing that and I appreciate you not sugarcoating it. On Trailblazers, I've had the privilege of hosting a lot of South Asian female founders like yourself You know, recent one who comes to mind is Shilpa Shah, who I know is a mentor of yours. And many of them have spoken about this openly and talked about how, as everyone says, the career and biological clock are often in direct conflict. But if you're doing something that you truly love, there's a way to build these structures and find a way to create this semblance of balance, even though it's tough at certain points. Exactly. Yeah. So... Something that I found interesting is obviously you have this background in modeling, but that doesn't necessarily mean you can wake up one day and understand end to end how this industry works—from supply chain to manufacturing to design. How did you go through that learning process to build this business?
1: Yeah, and let me also add, I ha- I'm self-taught, so I um I didn't go to fashion school. Like I said, I I you know I majored in communications, and it was just because I truly enjoy fashion and style. It was very difficult to get my feet off the ground and not only figure out how I'm going to find people to make my clothes, but there's such a business culture difference between working with India and here, right? It's very different. So fortunately for me, my husband was born and raised in Mumbai. So when I initially had this idea, like I made this one outfit, it did great. How do we find people that can help us create all these other ideas I have? So we went to India and we literally researched where to look, who to go to. We asked family, we asked friends, we asked people that we knew were modeling because that was another outlet for me where I had some in where I could ask people, okay, like I've done these shows, like I've met so many people, it's a network, right? Yeah. Whoever, you know, and that got us some leads. So one thing led to the next, we went and visited them. I obviously speak very little Hindi. So like my husband being the supportive partner that he is. I many times tell him like, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have been able to do this because I wouldn't have been able to set up my first workshop, you know, like literally couldn't have done it. So that's what we did. We were literally boots on the ground. We were going from facility to facility tailors and having conversations and asking if, if this is something that they can do. We started with a very small team and now have expanded into like a small factory type of setting. And that again, it all happens, right? As you start, Creating your brand, people also come to you and you have the opportunity to interview them and ask them, like, can you do this? Show me what you can do. And it, that's how it kind of just evolves and grows, and, and you test and learn from that point.
0: Wow, super, super interesting. I'm curious, what were those business differences culturally that you found in working in the States versus in India?
1: Oh, my goodness. I guess the first one that comes to mind is time, like the essence <laughs> of timing, right? It's like it'll be done in a week, which Now I know when they say a week, it means three weeks or three and a half weeks, right? Like I am programmed now that I understand that. I've had to learn, you can only change things so much. Obviously we've tried, right? But we have to learn to work with them. Obviously like the skill set in India with artisans and embroidery, it is on another level, right? So we've learned to, if we have a plan to launch something in August, and our deadline to shoot is, I don't know, June, we've pushed that up now. Like in the last seven years, we've learned how to adapt to their style. So I would definitely say like the number one thing that points out to me is time commitment and committing to something when you say you're going to do it.
0: Yeah, super, super interesting. You mentioned it, so I had to ask. So it's no secret that fashion, broadly speaking, is an incredibly difficult arena in which to even get noticed, let alone achieve the many things that you have, What do you feel like have been the key points of differentiation and the key skill sets that have helped you build such an iconic brand?
1: I would say it's staying true to our aesthetic from the very, very beginning. We've always been this brand that wanted to have traditional fabrics, traditional aesthetics, but put them into like a modern twist and a modern ensemble. And we've never deviated from that. No matter what we do, we create a face mask, you're going to get the same thing. We create a graphic tee, you're going to get the same thing. And I think people now come to us for that. We don't deviate and start creating, I don't know, like can can with all kinds of you know, crazy. We don't do that because our mission since day one has been we want to be the perfect balance between east and west. Yeah. Our community has learned to come to us for those type of things. They know they're going to a baby shower, they want an indo-western dress, they're coming to me. They want a resort look, they know where to go. So, I think that's helped us just being consistent, staying true to who we are has really helped because you see a lot of times people deviate and you want to test new things. That's fine, but at the end of the day, what's the core of your business and what problem are you trying to solve for? If you stay true to that, Throughout everything you do, that community will follow and trust you at the end of the day. That's incredible. When we come back, more from Mega
0: on the future of Holy Sheik and the role of mentors like Bio Kadakia and Anjula Jaria in her journey. But first, a message from the Desi Crime Podcast. When I'm not binging the stories of our own trailblazers, I'm diving deep into true crime podcasts. It's my guilty pleasure, and it's why I'm so glad that the Basic Crime Podcast found me. Aishwarya and Aryan are thoughtful hosts who cover the craziest cold cases and historically high profile mysteries. I'm talking the assassination of Mahatma Gandhi and the real story behind Bollywood's most iconic villain, Gabur Singh. Be sure to check out their episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to our episode. Obviously, building in this space, I've seen it. You've had the opportunity to collaborate and outfit so many South Asians. What has
1: that experience been like? Oh my goodness, it's been incredible. It honestly has, and in so many different ways. Not only is it we get an opportunity to dress people, like that in itself it's a great thing, but we also get to meet so many cool people. And similar to what yeah. you're doing, you know, interviewing trailblazers in this community, we've got to meet them and speak to them and learn about their journey, sometimes over the phone, over Zoom or in person. And that in itself is such an inspiring experience because many of the people that we dress, they're also trailblazers, right? They're pressure. And we've dressed so many different actresses, Mindy Kelling recently. What an amazing experience to have like an opportunity to talk to them, and speak with them. Obviously, you know, we have to continue to think about the types of places that they go. So that's always something that was on our radar. Like what type of events are coming up? What will people need? We try to plan for those things in advance so that we continue to, you know, have these type of opportunities. Absolutely.
0: I want to speak to more of your incredible achievements, including outfitting people like Mindy Kaling. Yeah. In September 2021, you debuted at New York Fashion Week. Can you share what that experience was like? I mean, it must have been such a full circle moment having this New York edge in your brand and getting to showcase it in this way.
1: Yeah, I probably had chills that entire week. It was a (laughs) roller coaster. It was, I don't even, it's like kind of still a blur, but I just remember, wow, like I cannot believe we just did this, right? Because a lot of people are like, why don't you do more fashion shows? Why don't you do more pop-ups? And I believe in quality. Like, I don't want to be everywhere. I don't want to do a pop-up every month. Yep. I want to do it the right time. And so we did one fashion show where we were one of the designers a couple years ago. But I remember saying like, when we do a fashion show, we need to do it right. Whatever our brand signifies, we want to represent South Asian culture on a global mainstream platform. Well, this is it. Like it's New York fashion, yeah. Week, right? Like there is no other debut that we need to be. <laughs> so when that opportunity came I did not have a lot of time. That was the one thing that I regret because it was a sudden thing. There was a couple of weeks that we had to prepare for it. So I remember saying like, what am I going to do? What looks am I going to put out there? So I made a deliberate effort to open that show with the sari because to me, the sari signifies so many different things. First of all, any non-South Asian, they look at sari as Indian fashion to begin with. And so I said, I want to show everyone that you can wear a sari every day. That was my goal you could wear it every day. So we paired it with jeans. Like back in the day, we did a sorry denim challenge. And I took inspiration from there to open up. And, you know, we actually not only debuted with that, but we also opened the show, which was so cool that day. It was really a magical experience. We were on a rooftop in New York City. And it was with all different backgrounds of nationalities and models. The audience was diverse. And it was just an incredible experience. And as a designer, my long term goal is to see a sari at Nordstrom and Bergdorf or Saks. That's my goal. I want to show people that if you can sure. wear an evening gown, you can wear a sari or you can wear a Lenga. And it doesn't matter. It's not cultural appropriation. That's a whole other topic that we can touch on if we want to. But yes. I think it's a beautiful thing when people assimilate into our culture and wear our clothes with pride. And so that's my goal. And I think that Fashion we kind of unlocked that first step for us to uncover the rest of opportunities with bringing it mainstream.
0: Yeah, I remember hearing about it and feeling so seen. I mean, that's why Trailblazers exists is for us to feel seen. But seeing achievements like yours and a, such an iconic forum like New York Fashion Week was I think the whole community really
1: felt proud. So a belated congrats. people yeah, we were just really excited about it. And that got us even more amped up. But we were doing it for yeah. all of us. So it was a really proud moment for us
0: yeah and the other big obviously opportunity you had was being featured in tesha and jason derulo's jalebi baby remix yeah what was it like seeing your designs featured in
1: this music video that went viral well my kids think i'm really cool now <laughs> again i feel like every time something ha- it's so last minute everything is always last minute and the same thing happened with tesha i remember it was um hey we're filming in la like we have this great opportunity we love your Sari suits would love to feature them. And so we quickly sent over some of our favorite pieces that we thought would work. And, you know, a lot of times with opportunities like this, we don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes you send things to stylists. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Like you just don't know. That's the name of the game, right? Like it's not personal, but it happens. And so I remember after they were filming and they said, you know, it all worked out great. I was just so excited. And when that debut happened, it was the same like fashion week. It was a problem for all of us, right? Anytime we see anything take a mainstream outlet, the way that that video did, we all feel the sense of pride. And to be part of it, amplifies that pride, right for me as a designer. So it was very cool. I remember my whole family were all watching it. And we were pointing out like the clothes that we designed and all that. And of course, my kids, they were just like, that's so cool, mom. Like They were very excited about it. So an amazing opportunity, amazing experience. Yeah.
0: Well, again, congrats. I mean, It's an opportunity for all of us to feel seen and you're blazing the path forward. So obviously we've spoken about a few of these highs, but for any business, the pandemic threw a wrench in a lot of things, you know, to your point earlier, people didn't need clothes for events because weddings weren't happening. There were supply chain issues, et cetera, et cetera. Interestingly for you, it sounds like the pandemic was a turning point in terms of you leaving your corporate career, helped you expand your mandate from wedding wear to other pieces Can you speak to the hurdles you faced in the pandemic and how it sort of reshaped your vision?
1: Yeah. So the hurdle I faced was honestly trusting myself. I think that I was so inclined to doing this type of product where how are we going to start creating t-shirts now? Like it doesn't make any sense. And so to really think outside the box, it's okay to test things, right? That was a struggle for me. And we went ahead, we launched it. It did great. But then again, we were still trying to keep the other part of our business alive, which was making dresses and lengas and saris. And with that, the few events that were happening, we did face supply chain issues, right? All of us did in different ways. Yeah.
0: So how do
1: you communicate that to the customer and the client and tell them like, this is what's going on. And, and this is why instead of it being three or four weeks, it's going to take longer. Those were huge hurdles that we had to overcome. But what I learned was being upfront and honest and transparent is always what works best. And so I remember putting out stories, hey, if you ordered within these dates or this time frame, we're experiencing delays. And this is why. And people understand at the end of the day, we're all human beings. We all know what's going on. Yeah. That was definitely a big challenge for me because we were growing and scaling and we didn't want to upset anyone. We wanted people to obviously be happy, get things on time. And we just physically could not make that happen. So that was definitely a huge challenge for me during that time. Yeah, it's interesting.
0: I feel like it's also fascinating because in the pandemic instance, everyone was experiencing it. So I think there was a collective empathy and understanding with regard to businesses and anything that it came down to. That's obviously not always the case. To your point, there are other hurdles that people face. You know, there's backlash around cultural appropriation. There's conversations about sustainability and diversity in the industry. As you head up your own brand, how important is it for you to... Stay alight of these issues and take them into deep consideration as you're developing Holy Chic.
1: Yeah. So, my motto with that is I'm not trying to solve everything at one time. I think that a lot of people are like, oh, are we sustainable? Are we cultural appropriating? There's so many things, right? Are we being inclusive? Every single thing. If we try to consider all of it at one time, we're going to fail. Yeah. Taking it step by step. One of my number one goals as a designer was to make sure that people felt included and inclusive when they wore my clothes. From day one, I have made it a conscious effort. No matter what we do, photo shoots, collaborations, we want to make sure that we have faces, skin tones, body types that represent all of us. And so once I feel like, okay, we have portrayed this, people understand now who we are as a brand and that we are inclusive, then we move on to solution number two, right? Like Not trying to solve every single problem, every single fire, every single topic that comes up because we're all human. We don't have people working for us. We're a small team. We're doing what we can with the resources that we have available. And everything doesn't have to be an overnight solve. Mm -hmm. You don't have to run to every fire all the time. And I think people make that mistake. And you start confusing people. Like, what are you? Are you a sustainable brand? What are you at the end of the day? Like people get confused. So take it step by step, excel at each thing, make sure, you know, you take your time, you go slow and steady, and it'll all work out at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm curious. I forgot where I read it. I think it was on Twitter. But someone recently wrote that to be an overnight success conservatively takes four years. You know, and I think there are a lot of people that have now started hearing about your brand and might feel that way. But for you, this started in 2014. It's been eight years. Can you speak to what advice you'd give to aspiring designers and entrepreneurs who yeah. are, you know, navigating these challenges and thinking about launching their own businesses?
1: Yeah, and I really try especially with my personal brand on social to show people that it's not always an overnight success. And not everyone has connections. Not everybody has access to resources and angel investors. I didn't have any of it. I'm self-funded 100% because my corporate job helped me build my business. I never needed an angel investor. So I think we are an outlier in so many ways because it took us a long time to get where we are. We did not have any financial help or support. And I'm okay with that. It's hard sometimes because you see social media, see all these people that are on Good Morning America, they're on Time Magazine, like they're doing amazing, amazing things, but sometimes it feels like it happened overnight or they don't have responsibilities or they don't have families. And then you try to like portray this image in your head, but it doesn't matter at the end of the day when you get there. It's not a race. Stay true to who you are. You're gonna face hurdles. You're gonna face challenges. But if you are so rooted in making a difference and doing what brings you so much joy, you're gonna figure it out. And it doesn't have to happen in two years. It doesn't have to happen in four years. And I want to be that example for women to show them patience is a virtue. You can quote unquote, have it all. You can have a family, a husband, you can be responsible. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can do all of it. Right. And I want to be that inspiration and motivation for women to go ahead and follow that path and dream and be real when you're doing it. Like not just show them like, okay, I was on Good Morning America. Well, like this took me a really long time to get here, but it happened eventually. Yeah, absolutely.
0: It's interesting because I feel like to some degree now you've become the inspiration and role model that I'm sure that you had while building this business. And I know one of your mentors is Bayou Kadakia, who actually kicked off this season. So it's a beautiful life cycle to have you be our season finale. Love that. But I'm curious with individuals like her and other mentors that you've had, What are some of the most meaningful pieces of advice you've received along this journey?
1: That's a good one. So Bile has helped me throughout the years. Like it hasn't been like one conversation. It's been conversation after conversation. And I think for me, just watching her story and watching what she's been able to do in itself is so inspiring. She's just the same thing. She's a mom. She's transitioned through so many different phases in her life all while building this company. And now you know, she's left that and she's pursuing dance and doing something that brings her so much joy, which is a beautiful thing, especially, you know, being a mother. Yeah. Another mentor of mine was Angela Acharya. A few years ago, I remember having a conversation with her and she said, always wow. oh, find the empty space. What's missing from fashion today in the South Asian scene and that's why, like, as soon as I saw like a plethora of brands coming with langas and started, I said, we need to think differently. Yeah. Can't have 45 people doing the same thing. What are we going to do that's going to make us stand out and be different? So we pivoted and we found a new empty space, a new white space. So constantly evolving your mindset, obviously staying true to who you are, but having an open mind and taking risks are some of the things that I remember hearing. Wow, that's amazing. I
0: mean, speaking to your point on the fact that this realm has become increasingly saturated over the past number of years. What is your vision for Holy Sheik over the next five, 10 years down the line?
1: Another really good question. So first and foremost, we just launched Holy Men's. Yes, I saw that. Yeah, so I thought that was another missing opportunity because there's not much available for men for weddings. And again, not just formal events, but even every day, if you're going out to a dinner and you want to wear a blazer, like how cool is it that you can have a small hint of a sari on your cuff. And that can maybe remind you of your mom or your wife or something that's meaningful to you and special. And so I want to grow that. I want to grow the holy men's community. I want the same type of traction that we had with women and children. I now want to expose to a whole different demographic. So that's one part. And the second thing is to see holy chic, be a pioneer and eventually be in big retail stores. I want everyone to be in our clothes. I want to break the stigma of cultural appropriation You know, the way that we go to a sushi restaurant or we listen to hip hop music, it's not cultural appropriation. We're immersing ourselves into a different culture, which is a great thing. It shouldn't be any different for fashion. Okay, Sarah Jessica Parker, like she messed up Sari and Alanga on Sex and the City. All right. But at least our clothes were in there you know it is what it is at least we had some type of representation and people know what a sari or a langa is now and so i want to break that stigma and i want to break it by bringing my brand mainstream and seeing it in different outlets and seeing all types of backgrounds and nationalities wearing yeah
0: i also appreciate you mentioning the sex in the city instant and all these conversations because I do think that with the rise of cancel culture and online culture, there is a lot of conversations like this, and a lot of people might be feeling this way, but there's a sort of silent majority that's out there that feels a little bit afraid to speak to that. And so I think having people like yourself who are actually building in this space say that makes a huge difference. Something I'm curious about is, alongside building the Holy Chic brand, you also have a personal brand and personal presence What has that been like? Is that something you felt like you needed to do as an entrepreneur that you want to do? And how do those brands operate in tandem?
1: Yeah. So this was another pandemic story because I did not intend in any way to become a quote unquote influencer. It was never on my agenda. It was all about building the holy chic brand and selling our clothes. Like that's what this was about at the end of the day. But what I realized was people were more interested in the story behind the brand. And I think that who better to tell the story than me, right? Like, what is it that inspired Holy Sheik? Here's my story. I grew up, my mom sent me to India when I was a young girl by myself. And I would spend all my summers with my grandmother year after year after year. And so I almost feel like I was born there. Like I have a very deep connection to India because of that experience. And that's what's really transformed this journey for me. And many women connect to the story. They connect to Wow, that's my story too. Oh, something similar happened to me. And now the clothes have meaning. It's something that represents your childhood, your grandmother, this fuse. If you were growing up and you were a little bit not confident and didn't want to show off being Indian and you were a little ashamed. We all have that. We all have these stories, but now you kind of found your in and you're so proud and you want people to know who you are. That's what I tried to show through my personal page, which it's hard to show on the business brand. So that helped a lot. And also the styling component of it. I think people were interested to see like how I would wear something or where I would wear it. If yeah. she can wear this bandini kimono on vacation, oh, I didn't know I could do that. Like it's a way to show people you can do this and you can have the confidence to do it while being a mother. You're walking around with your kids. I want people to see that so that it becomes real. Yeah, It's more relatable and people can identify with the brand more. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that.
0: The last big question I have for you is obviously South Asian fashion and the South Asian community as a whole is gaining momentum. We're more in the public eye. Any industry you look at, we're there, we're loud. It's wonderful. But to a degree, when you were starting, that wasn't necessarily the case, I'm guessing, particularly in the realm of fashion. I'm guessing there weren't many designers that looked like you in this space, What was your experience like being a South Asian woman?
1: That's a good question. I think we probably didn't have as many opportunities starting out than we did now. The first four or five years, Mindy Kelling wouldn't have worn Holy Chic, right? Because it just wasn't like something that people were thinking about, that they can wear this Indian suit to a red carpet. And there weren't as many events like that. I think there's just so many more things happening, AAPI month. Award ceremonies, movie premieres. How many South Asian movie premieres have we seen happen over the last two years with Netflix and all this stuff? And so there's more events, there's more people, there's more opportunity now than there ever was before. Before it was, you know, I had my group of clients that were going to events. Today I have that. Plus I have all these different events that are happening with celebrities and influencers, which give us the opportunity to bring our brand out into the world even more I think like over, especially the last three years, it's really transformed in terms of like what we've seen happen in the industry.
0: Yeah, it really reminds me of the quote that, a rising tide lifts all ships. Yeah. As our community grows. That's a great quote. Yeah. Yeah. As our community grows, we all grow together. Each and every one of us that's building, you know, I feel similarly. And when I started Trailblazers, I would get asked, you know, are there even enough people for you to do a whole season? Oh yeah, plenty. And I'm like, I'm at a point where I'm wondering if I need to do
1: more episodes per season because there's just so many people out there. Yeah. It's so amazing because when people come to us, they want to represent the culture. That's why they come to us. Hey, I have this red carpet, I want something with an Indian flair. And like that wouldn't have happened years ago. Like, you know, so that's what's really, really cool to see people want to represent it in this manner. Yeah.
0: Well, Mega, I think you played a huge role in making that happen. So thank you for trailblazing the path forward in this space. And thank you for taking the time to join me on Trailblazers today. This has been such a special conversation.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed it. I'm I'm
0: so proud to be your
1: finale. So thank
0: you. Of course. (laughs) Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you want to get new episodes straight to your inbox, subscribe to our newsletter at SouthAsianTrailBlazers.com and follow us at South Asian Trailblazers on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn.